as a society, we all have to figure out and navigate this space carefully so that we can still keep the, the humanness in us and still leverage the productivity gains and automations and efficiency gains that AI can offer. But the world will be a very different place a few decades from now, for sure, with the advancements in AI. It'll be more symbiotic between AI and, and humans. This is the Indianness Podcast, stories of success from leaders and change makers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together. Because every story is unique. I'm very excited to have Rama Akiraju with us today. She's the Vice President of Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning for NVIDIA IT, the company that's at the forefront of the AI revolution. She's also been at leadership roles at IBM. I invited her on this show as her journey has been full of self-learning, and she has a unique insight into what it takes to learn your way to a leadership role. Welcome, Rama. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you, Sanjay. Thank you for having me. Rama, you know that we basically look at the journeys of change makers like you, and to you know chronicle that journey for inspiration to others, you have to go right to the beginning of their journey. So let's start with the beginning as to tell us and tell our listeners where were you born and tell us about your parents. I was born in South India in the city of Hyderabad, Sanjay. That's where I did my schooling. My parents, I think, immigrated from some interior parts of Andhra Pradesh to Hyderabad for my dad's job. My dad worked for the state government and my mom was a homemaker. And as with any middle-class Indian family, you know, you grow up with your mom teaching you the moral compass and the values for the rest of your life and dad teaching you to dream big and aim high. And that's how my childhood was. Well, that sounds very interesting. So dad's job, tell us a little bit about dad's job. He worked for the state government in different capacities over the years. You know, we started out, I remember, as almost like a lower middle class family, probably. And by the time he retired, he crawled his way up, uh, I would say, to middle class. What exactly he did? He worked in different state government programs that would distribute rice grains and clothing and other things to underprivileged families in the state and the city and such. And he had the role to manage the procurement and the distribution of those things. At least that's the last role that I remember him doing. I'm sure over his career, he did a number of things. At that time of India, which, you know, hopefully same time, government jobs were a big thing because it provided stability, security, etc. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It was almost the case that you made it for the rest of your life after graduating from your college, if you landed either a state government or a central government job. If you are working for any private company, that is it's a risky proposition. Your pension is not guaranteed. So even, you know, it's difficult for men, I believe, to find the right kind of suitees or girls for those boys that work in private sector back in the days when India was not fully liberalized and 
basically your dream is to land a job land yourself a job in the state government or central government so that's how my dad's generation was thankfully by the time we were growing up me and my siblings things were changing india was opening up more and the it sector i wouldn't say it was fully there yet computers and such still were not that common in universities and all but infosys was there wipro was there at least the beginning of the first generation of this consulting companies were starting and such so it was a very different time back in the 90s when i was growing up but yeah as you said it was right at the beginning but did dad have to travel much for his job or was he stationed just in hyderabad no he wasn't traveling we were just in hyderabad siblings tell us a little bit about your siblings uh, rama our family was a, a family of four children i had i have two sisters and a brother and my two siblings and brother actually all three of them studied in government high schools so you can government schools rather you can imagine how situations were back then only people who were well to do enough could afford private school education even though many of the private schools were just you know local schools with not that many facilities or anything to really boast about but still my siblings all went to government run high schools or schools and i was the first one in the family as the last one in the family actually to go to private schools so that kind of shows by the time i was 5 years old maybe whatever that little bit of monthly fee my dad and mom could afford so they sent me to a private school i still studied in local telugu medium which is my mother tongue schools till i was in 5th grade and and starting 6th grade i switched over to the so called english medium which is what uh, much of the middle class wants to land up in to set yourself up for the future but yeah my siblings they all went through and they did find in their lives later on thankfully thanks to the grounding principles that our parents instilled in us right from our childhood but just a question rama how come you were picked to go to a private school and not let's say your brother is elder to you right and you are number 2 and then you have two other sisters no i was uh, the last one oh so you were the youngest one oh okay okay so by then i think the family situation was slowly improving to the point that they could probably afford i think the fee was 25 rupees per month at that time for a private school so 25 rupees was you know if, if it had to be paid it would add up to what 100 rupees for four children altogether one per month that would have been a lot for my dad back in the days so but i suppose since i was the last one and by that time things have financially improved just a little bit enough for me to go to at least a school that was charging 25 dollars a month or so and that private school was better than what your brother and sisters were learning how would you you know differentiate between the two and i'm not really sure actually because i never went to the public school and they never went to this school so i, I don't have much to compare but i don't think it was that big of a deal a big difference or anything yeah did you make any friends at that time while you were going into this private school of course and i as with any kid you know studying in school yeah of course i had a lot of friends and school was close by to the house yeah used to walk to school yes any subjects that you were gravitating early on towards uh, Well, I enjoyed actually I loved studying all the subjects I didn't particularly I would say gravitate or anything I loved math I also loved Telugu or my mother tongue language my family 
had a lineage of uh, poem in Telugu. So there was a lot of literature, reading, poetry going on in, in around the house. So I, I loved Telugu. All subjects, really. Nothing all that much to talk about. But definitely, I, if I have to pick, I say I did love math. You loved math there. And your brother, how much older is he? He was three years older than me. I would say he and my dad were two folks who really were very influential in uh, me becoming who I am today. My brother, because he was just old enough for me to still have a conversation about what I was studying and what I want to become. And I was always following his footsteps, basically. When I had any questions about math, he was three years older than me. He, I would go to him and he would help me out and teach me things. As he was growing up, he wanted to study engineering. He prepared for the test and got into an engineering college. And so I would just simply follow his footsteps. I said, brother became an engineer. I want to become one. When he went to the U.S. to study, I set the same goal for myself. I said, you know, I have somebody to look up to that opens up opportunities for you. So I want to do the same. And I would say my dad has been very influential because growing up in middle class India and with the three girls that he has to marry off, right? You can imagine what kind of mindset one might be in thinking that, okay, I'll, you know, I'll let you study, but I don't want to take big loans to send you to the U.S. or anything like that. But my dad never held us back and any of us actually a boy or a girl he never differentiated and towards the end of his career almost is when I was getting ready to go study here in the United States and he did not hesitate to take a loan at that time and he said in fact I was even hesitating to say dad is it something that I should even shoot for and he said go for it it doesn't matter I'll take a loan and I should be able to pay it off don't worry about it or maybe after you study and get a job, you, you can pay it off, but don't deprive yourself of your opportunities and go study. So he was the one and he did the same to all four of us, actually, to my sisters and brother. And so I'm so grateful to my dad for being that person who treated all his children equally, girls and boys, and never held us back. And in fact, encouraged us all the way through to dream big, aim big and to go for opportunities. So yeah, the, my dad, brother, I would say, have been two influential figures while I was growing up. Yeah, very impressive. So in kind of role models for you also. Your brother was helping you with homework, but dad never differentiated in terms of, you know, opportunities. Sometimes that happens. So that's phenomenal. And mom, what was her role when you were growing up? Mom, of course, played a critical role in keeping us all grounded, right, with teaching us the moral principles, the value of personal integrity, and, of course, exposing us to, you know, so many Indian mythology and our epics and stories and fables and the values from all of those. And always there to support, basically, just as a mom would. I'm just, yeah, so grateful for both my parents and the family that I grew up in. Without their support, continued support, I wouldn't have been able to make it to the United States to study or to be where I am at. And one other thing I have to recall, my mom read a lot. She's a voracious reader. Every night she would sit and read so many books to us. Sometimes even when we're doing our homeworks, she would come and say, I read this wonderful poem I have to tell you about it and she would just just take five minutes and she would ask us to take a pause and and she would read the poem and explain that and 
that's how she you know inculcated some of the reading habits and appreciating literature and the poetry and also in, in my introduction to music south indian classical music carnatic music came to me from my mom she would play it on the radio all the time and introduce us to you know some of the musicians and make us listen of course back in the days we were more interested in listening to old hindi film songs <laughs> <laughs> but thanks to the seeds that she instilled in us back then in art and literature and reading and poetry uh, when i grew up and and needed something to to really take you know mind off of things and to stay grounded i go back to music now and to classical literature and arts and those types of things so all of those things came from mom i would say so what a great balance the culture the spirituality and all that was balanced by mom while dad was supporting brother was like a mentor so you know those three things played a big role from music where you just a listener where you actually we used to sing or play or anything like that oh it was just mostly listening i learned a little bit of carnatic classical when i was young but i picked it up later on after i came to the us i found some good teachers and i picked it up and my daughter now learns and plays an instrument indian actually national instrument called veena a string instrument and she also learns hindustani classical music so that seed that my mom instilled back you know when i was a child although at the time i was a rebel and i wanted to go back to film music it it stays with you it stays with you and it, you go back to it when you're older and a little bit more wiser <laughs> yeah i know her music was mainly in telugu while you wanted to listen to all india radio and all that other amin sayani and all those great hindi songs at that time right yeah i was always probably a decade or two behind it. i enjoyed more of the my dad's generations my mom's generations <laughs> which one was your dad's generation song for these were devanand kishore kumar mohammad rafi mohammad rafi kishore uh, kumar they're bringing back some uh, great memories some fantastic singers for people who might be listening may wondering what we're talking about but just you know that time music was different just let's just put it that way it was amazing yeah the 80s and 90s music i don't know i couldn't somehow although i was growing in up in that era i was never really drawn to that music i was always <laughs> as i said one or two generations behind i gravitated to some of the old ones they say rama that sometimes music and songs are tied to memories also oh absolutely is that true for you when you listen to some song does it ever take you back in time oh sure absolutely you know back in the days there used to be only one tv channel right for a number of years actually when i was growing up we didn't even have a, a tv at our house we would go to neighbors's house if they would let us in <laughs> to watch sunday night movies or something like that i was probably in high school or so when we could afford a television set and that too is a very unreliable one that you know you don't know when you turn it on whether it would turn on or not the transistor based ones you know so i have so many memories of some of those doordarshan programs and some you know pro music and uh, movies maybe that i've seen yeah would all of you sit together and watch some of those shows and things like that the brothers and sisters or yeah because there is only you know you live you live in a house with maybe three rooms and there's a kitchen there is probably one or two bedrooms and then there is the living room and so 
there were some shows it's not like we all had to do our studies in the evenings but there were one or two shows that we all would watch and we would all sit together and watch those were different times <laughs> now we all have our own devices right nobody sits together nobody and if you're talking to people you're communicating through devices but great memories so as you were studying further anything in sports were you involved in any sports at that time I wish I were no but the answer is no simply because it was not part of the education system at all nothing organized sports you know just playing as a kid outdoors with neighborhood kids is something is is how things were at the time but nothing organized you know schools barely even had any playgrounds and if you would have classrooms that's the most you can ask for so nothing organized as such So just tell us a little more so as you were going on then you did your high school also in the same school you were all the years in the same school Rama No I I think I did till 5th or 6th grade in one school after that Then you moved into English medium after that Yeah and at that time we moved from one place in Hyderabad to another place my dad was trying to build a house you know our house was built over like 5 6 years and with one room at a time kind of thing but when we moved into our new house that was still being built at the time i moved my school as well that uh, in that school i studied from 6th to 10th and then after that of course in indian system there is a plus 2 it's called college right actually you go to that to do the 11th and 12th and then go to the engineering college so how was that move to a new school and plus also in new language right any issues with that at all see to be frank although it was english medium so to speak it's not like the teachers were so fluent in english or anything so there was a lot of telugu being spoken all around maybe a little bit of class time lecture time and what you have to write in was in english it was difficult for me for sure at the time making the switch from telugu to english but i used to study a lot i used to you know the education system is very different back then things are changing now it's mostly you're taught something you have some questions you've given some answers you memorize those and you you just uh, go write those so if you're you know good at memorizing you wouldn't have so much trouble yeah it was a little difficult but i wouldn't say it was that hard or anything okay and you are still enjoying math and those subjects right and then you moved to a different school for your plus 2 that was also in hyderabad and what kind of school was that it was one of those colleges that offers the two years of intermediate education yeah tough or same ish was it academically you found it harder the same etc no i wouldn't say it was harder anything it was that you see that two year period is considered to be the most critical time that shapes the rest of your life because you are studying for your next college phase and that is the time when you decide whether you're going for you know math related or biology related or commerce related subjects and once you pick you got to go deep to study for the entrance exams so those two years were like a blur basically you would just you're a book you're studying you don't know what's happening in the world <laughs> you're not so engaged with anybody outside you put your heads down because if you don't study well during those two years you are done for your you missed your opportunity for your life and that's how it is so those two years you just forget about everything and you study hard <laughs> uh, take extra classes prep classes this that oh my god it's a lot of pressure 
it's too much pressure, I think. But anyway, it was a lot of pressure on. Yeah, you and, and that continues know. to be the case even now for most people who want yeah. to make it to yeah. good, either yeah. engineering, medical, or whatever the field that they want to go in. Yeah. So tell us then what happened. What were the results of your heads down hard work that you did for two years? How did you do? And then based on that, tell us where was the journey taking you? Well, as I said, my brother was already studying in an engineering college by then. He was three years older to me. So I had my path set. I liked math. I wanted to go into engineering field. So I studied for one of the state level entrance exams. And again, there were IITs. My brother, for whatever reason, because there is no precedence in the family, he didn't have any role models. He was the one who was paving the path for himself. So he... So he paid a price for that. That's not what I'm saying. He aimed for local state level engineering college entrance exam. And for me, if that's what the bro- my brother did, that's what I would do. You know, because my brother didn't study for IIT exam, there was no precedence. I didn't even shoot for that. So I didn't study for that. So that's how influential my brother was. And that's how the role models later on in your life can be. So you follow the path. Depending on what you know, how much you know, you will set your goals for it. And if you only know so much, that's all you would set your goals for. But I you know, went for the local state level engineering entrance exam, and I did well enough to get into a government college, which is a very good outcome at that time, because private engineering colleges, first of all, were not considered to be the same level of quality in terms of education and facilities and such. Things are changing now. It may be reversing but I went to study at uh, Jawaharlal Nehru Technological University. It's called JNTU, College of Engineering, in Anantapur. So I went and stayed in a hostel and did my engineering in electronics and communications. Wow. So first time you move out of the house to stay in a dorm, so to speak, right? So how was that? And then tell us about what was it for academics and things of that nature. What was that like? You know, many in, in India go through this experience. When you go to engineering colleges, you're, li- you're likely, you know, going out of state or staying in dorms. And I, I think it's the best time of your life as a student and you're making friends, you're learning to be independent on your own. But I was, I was a very focused, dedicated student all my life. I gravitated towards making friends who are like me, who were also bookworms who would study a lot. So we would found some roommates who would just focus on our studies, basically. Just go to college, do our stuff well, study, do our exams well, plan for our future. But definitely best times of our lives, student days, and we have lots of good friends whom we still are in touch with and meet often and and exchange notes from those days to now. Wow. And what kind of engineering were you studying, Rama? Electronics and communications is what it's called, yeah. Good. And at that time, you slowly started gravitating towards electronics, maybe computers at that time itself? Depending on the rank that you get, the branch, you know, electrical or mechanical or civil, you know, there was a whole pecking order. These are some of the things that should change. But if people should go into the field that they're interested in. But it's not like for me, everything is an open book. It didn't matter to me what I studied. I just wanted to study and do well and think about the future later. So... Yeah, I, I got into electronics a branch based on where I was placed in the entrance exam, and I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. But yeah, there were some courses that I took related to computers, and I took some outside classes 
to uh, basic programming language at the time. And just to prepare myself up for you know things in computer science, because it's pretty clear that computer science is where the much of the industry was going and that's where the opportunities were B- between electronics and communications, hardware and software. Basically, that's where the, the opportunities were, majority of them, more so in software for India at that time and continues to be so. The, the foundations were laid for computer science work that I would do later on. And at that time, what was brother doing? He had graduated? My brother was already in the U.S. studying. He had come to the U.S. to study and then he now that's how the first introduction to through his letters and through his photographs that he would send home, you know, our introduction to student life in the U.S. and what it's like to be in the U.S. And he would travel during the holidays with friends and send some pictures of different places. And yeah, it was for a family who has not traveled much even in India to speak of, let alone see the outside world. Those Photographs and his letters were a window into the outside world and, and to the U.S. But as I remember, we all used to wait for those and you know anxiously read those in that blue, what are those things, letters called? Airmail thing that, uh, <laughs> that students could afford. They could not afford letters and envelopes because the stamps would cost more. Uh, it was all one page. It would be folded. Yeah. So... You were really looking forward to that. Now, tell me, what about your two sisters at that time? He went, you were in engineering college in Anand. What were they doing? My sisters, they studied, they got their jobs, then they got married. My elder sister was a teacher. She became a principal very quickly after that. My second sister is a banker. Wonderful. So, you know, brother was obviously sending information and that was opening up that window. So now you're getting close to graduating from college. So was it clear to you in your mind that you're going to apply to go to the U.S.? Absolutely, yeah. So it was very clear. Starting from third year or so of engineering, you would you know you would study for GRE, TOEFL, the exams that you have to pass to apply. And again, I I didn't even have to get anything. My brother's books were there, GRE preparation book, and basically. I, those were all hand-me-downs for me. And I just prepared with those. And Maybe he had highlighted some portions of uh, the books for, for himself that could be handy for you. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I was just basically uh, following uh, his recipe book. Yeah. So you gave your GRE TOEFL in the third year and basically were preparing then to come to the U.S. So then you graduated and mom and dad said yes, and dad obviously said he'll take a loan to send you. That was fantastic. So you graduated. Then what? You applied to some U.S. universities? Or? Yeah, and I got into a couple, and I came to the Utah State University to study computer science. I wanted to do computer science, and so I did that. Well, this was in Salt Lake? Mm-hmm. So like, well, it's in a place called Logan, actually, Utah State University, is in, uh, which is 90 miles from Salt Lake City. So how was that experience? Hyderabad to Salt Lake is a little bit of a cultural difference, would you say that? Yeah, there, but there is quite a bit of an Indian community, you know, by even in those days. The snow, the, the weather was all completely new, but I enjoyed every moment of it. Salt Lake City and Logan feels like second home to me. Why did you enjoy it so much? 
because everything is new, right? It's an adventure in your life. You're all by yourself. You're, you know, you're in a new place, new country, new culture, snow that you you saw only in the movies, and it's not something that you can even relate to. So it's a great adventure actually, and and a learning experience. I I would say I had so much trouble in the first semester actually following the accent of some of the professors. Some professors would speak so fast, and it used to be uh, like I had to keep all my senses up so much, and I'm parsing the w- one word that the professor spoke when he's already on the fifth word, and you know I have to <laughs> really pay super attention to follow the accent. Of course, after some more listening, because I wasn't that exposed to you. Were you recording the sessions, or we were just listening at that time? Yeah, no, I didn't have any recording devices, and I guess I wasn't thinking that much. But I know actually some of my uh, other Asian students who used to do that, and I I would be so impressed with uh, how much hard work that they would be putting to understand that. You know, I used to have a Japanese classmate who was an au pair for quite a few years, and then she decided to do her bachelor's or master's or something. But although she was an au pair for a number of years here, she was um, not fluent in English and definitely not so much in listening and understanding accents. She would record every class and she would play it multiple times and take very detailed notes in Japanese and to study. So if a lecture went on for one hour, she would have four hours of work to process that one hour lecture. And that's only for one class. Oh my God. Yeah, there are international students like that. Thankfully for me, it wasn't that bad, but I, it took me a little bit of an adjustment of a semester or so to, especially to one or two professors, I think, whose accent was something very alien to me. But then you get used to it. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think we, at least coming from India, we have a little bit of an advantage, as you said, about this Japanese student that we have a foundation of English, what, you know, accent, no accent, we at least have that advantage. How were the studies? How did you find uh, the academics besides the language? This is the first time, right, you know, come out of Indian education system to get exposed to the Western education system, which is so different for the first time. You're asked to write your opinions on things, even though you're doing subjects like computer science, software engineering, I wasn't doing any literature or English or anything, but you know, I remember one of my professors in software engineering would ask us to read two, three papers um, every week and would ask us to write our opinion about those papers and what we agree with or don't agree with or what might be one or two future directions that one could take that work in types of things. And that, you know, suddenly you feel like, oh, so I get to think. I, for the for the first time, it's not like I'm not just simply studying, applying what I know, but I'm actually being asked to think. And the assignments would also be nothing that you have done as part of your homeworks. They would be framed very differently. They would. They, it's not just about testing the application of the concepts, but it's about you advancing those concepts to take it to the next level. So that was another interesting adjustment as well. But I would say every international student probably goes through that because they, all the education systems are somewhat different in their own countries. But yeah, that was definitely something that I had to adjust to and 
over time i could see and appreciate why when you would go through such a process from your kindergarten that you would be you know an out of the box thinker otherwise you're just trained to to apply what you know and never create something new to create something new you have to continuously question the status quo and that is that's what the teachers were teaching you to read a paper which is the state of the art and to question it and to ask to say what can you do to advance it and that's how you innovate that's how you think beyond what's out there those are the skills that we were never taught back in india in the, in our education system you know you're strong in math but that's because you've done 100 problems a day by applying a particular formula that it becomes second nature to you that when you see another problem you know the pattern and you can simply apply that pattern but when you're asked to create new patterns you are you feel so exposed and that's an adjustment that you i had to make to the education system yeah yeah you said some very important things here i don't know if you realize like you have to question the status quo if you want to learn and innovate and you're so right about that so it was really an eye opening experience for you coming from you know the different educational system so then you were getting ready to graduate from yeah i was uh, two years of course it's a masters program and i got a job at ibm research in new york recruited from school yeah it was quite serendipitous the job announcement was made a year ago in some forum back then it was posted in one of the yahoo groups news groups yeah i wrote to that manager one year after that was advertised because that's when i was graduating just hoping that either that role or some other role like that would be open and i had actually at that time really didn't even know how much of a big deal it was to to land at ibm research which was one of the premier institutions of industrial research because there was not a whole lot of awareness for me at the time internet was just about coming up and emails were just about being used as a, a means of communication at workplace and things were at that level in in computing but it was quite a big deal yeah i did so you wrote to them a year ago and no not a year ago the advertisement was a in a year ago and i wrote when i was about to graduate saying you know i'm graduating now if you still have that role i would love to apply for it and manager responded and it was so serendipitous <laughs> i was the called in for an interview and i flew into new york did an interview two full day interview with multiple people i gave a talk which was a, uh, based on my masters uh, thesis that i did and when i got the offer i said this is the place i'm going to and move to new york and uh, that's i would say is one of the turning points in my life because uh, there i i met so many brilliant minds who are such wonderful role models and mentors and that kind of shaped my rest of my journey so two quick things they were impressed with your master's thesis right your thesis was on what can you just uh, tell us a little bit it was in the field of uh, ai at the time so it was early on this was way before chat gpt and all that and <laughs> i'm talking about yeah late 90s it was on applying simulated annealing technique for um, solving iterative refinement problems so you know i took i think i believe five or so of uh, examples and built it using rule based techniques at the time yeah and using simulated annealing which was one of the iterative refinement algorithms you perturb the state and uh, you take it to the next level 
yeah, so that expert based rule based system is what I, I had worked on. And that got them attracted. And I gave a talk about that, and you know they asked various questions in the interview, and luckily I landed that. Uh, and this was in what part of New York was this in? Yorktown Heights. That's where the research headquarters was for IBM. Yeah, it is. So then you moved to New York, and you spent how many years there, Rama? I was there maybe 10 12 years to 12 years probably in IBM research there IBM research in New York then here in the bay area california i moved after several years that i got married and my husband's job brought us here but i moved when i moved to IBM research here in silicon valley which is called the IBM Alvarez research center you talked that it was probably one of the best experiences of your life there and you won some real big accolades there why was it such a great experience and just if you were to distill that for us why was it such a great experience and you really shined out there in that environment you know you won some great accolades there how was that environment and what made that happen so first of all it was a, a research lab research organization right so it was filled with people who were brilliant people who had phd's in material science and chemistry and mathematics and computer science and robotics and ai and um, operations research and you name a field these were brilliant people at the time that was the destination either bell labs or uh, xerox labs or ibm research you know these were some of the eminent industrial research labs and great minds who would uh, once they graduate from their phd's would end up there and these are people who were doing some phenomenal work changing the course of the industry you know inventions of so many kinds from dynamic access memory to you know inventing operations research algorithms there were people who invented fortran people who invented some of the the groundbreaking algorithms in operations research and, and just brilliant people and they're all the time talking about their research and in, in, there were many talks being held by various researchers from academia and industry that environment that is so inspiring and you are you're constantly getting those inputs seeing the possibilities how to do proper research how to write how to question when you are reading how to find gaps in the state of the art where you can initiate a new idea or a project so i learned a lot from being in such an environment and and got you know a lot of great mentoring guidance from so many brilliant minds and i was just enjoying the journey that's all doing what i what i could do best and just continuously learning from everybody around me yeah you touched on a point about great mentors and this is a topic that we bring up with a lot of our guests because young people need to know that you know mentors come in many different shapes sizes forms official non official like your brothers being a mentor to you what do you think is the role of mentors generally what is your view in your life and just overall this is for our listeners to know young women or young men who are just starting the journey i think mentors play and you know unbelievable important role why they're vitally important for anybody's growth and i don't even go to success actually growth if i didn't have my brother leading the way showing the way i don't know what goals i would have set for myself i would have had to 
figure things out for myself, that would probably have been a lot harder. And I would probably have been limited by what I could have been exposed to back in the day. So, you know, first of all, they show you the way. And even throughout my career, I've always looked up to people who have been there maybe two to three steps ahead of me. And I would say, I would just try to understand what did they do to get there? Just go ask them and say, what were some of the things? And, and then observe them. Some Many things, you know, just asking is one thing, but observing them and how they conduct themselves. Like, let's say if you are in a meeting and you are really inspired by how a person is communicating their ideas, then you just, you just kind of observe how they're connecting different ideas and th- thoughts and how they're taking the conversation to the next level. All those things, they just help you mentors in many direct and indirect ways. You can always take inspiration from anybody, actually. You take the best out that they have and you imbibe those things. That's the best that can happen to you, right? You know your moral compass and your principles ground tell you what's right, what's wrong. And what's right and what's good in good quality in a particular person, you can always take that out and leave the rest and uh, imbibe that. So mentors play a critical role. If there is anybody out there who don't realize the value of having good mentors, I would say it's about time. It doesn't have to be somebody whom you actually even know or meet. It could be somebody who you're just inspired by. right? But if you're able to meet them and talk with them, and actually have a more regular kind of a professional mentor-mentee type of a relationship, that's fine too. But there are many ways to do it, but having that role model to look up to and to learn from is absolutely critical to one's growth, I would say. Well, some of the points you made are some very important points, especially for our listeners. As you said, they show you the way, help you with your growth, no, and one should not be afraid of asking them or reaching out to them. And the other thing you said is if you're in a meeting and you observe somebody who is you know, great at communicating, observe and watch and maybe learn. And also look at people who are two or three steps ahead of you, something you said, and not be insecure in maybe asking them or emulating them. Right, Rama? Absolutely. I'll say I have so many doors opened up for me by mentors over the years, either that they would connect me with somebody else. They would, uh, I know my professional network had grown significantly because of that. They would ask me to come talk about my work, maybe some in keynote speeches and those sorts of sort of things. The doors opened up for me. It's just incredible. And overall, you don't have to go through some of the things. You can short circuit your way by learning from their own experiences, right? It's much costlier and time consuming to learn from our own experiences. But if you can learn from others' experience and really short circuit some of those learnings to get to where you need to go faster, why would you not do that? And there are so many people who are so generous with their time and advice you only have to ask. And the one good thing about asking somebody for their advice, even if it is your adversary, is that when you ask them for your advice, they'll more likely than not be more open and willing and share their wisdom with you. That's the nature of being humble and asking somebody for their advice. And in the process, you may even turn an adversary into your your ally. Wow, that's a great point. For some of our politicians to learn also, but just for people, you know, even if it's your adversary or competition or whatever you want to call it, ask them for advice and they'll open up and maybe 
become, you know, better with you. But that's a great piece of advice because most people are very afraid because of the wall or whether it's your competitor in a company or... Yeah, if you put the roles aside and if you treat everybody as people who have accomplished something, right? If somebody is in a competitor, there are forums where you can actually, if you invite people onto a panel and, you know, you're hosting a very engaging panel, you ask important questions and people are more willing than not to share their thoughts and ideas with you. Because it's about the person and the journey as opposed to your position and role and title and those sort of things at that time, right? Yeah, that's a great advice, Rama. Rama, you touched on one inflection point or important point in your life, which is, you know, job at IBM. Do you think there have been any other inflection points because people learn from other people's inflection points or decisions that they made? Any other that comes to mind besides the position that you got at IBM? Moving to the West Coast, was it an inflection point? No, you can always learn from everything that happened. I'll interpret inflection point into something that, you know, that I did that had an impact, positive impact on me. And, and I'll share a couple of things. A few years into my being at IBM Research, I decided to go study uh, MBA. And I did that at NYU Stern School of Business. And I graduated at the top of the class with the highest GPA. So that's something that I'm quite, quite proud of because it's something I was doing while I was working, but I was placed at the highest in GPA, entire graduating class, including the full-time, part-time and, and all of that. I had such wonderful experience being a student again after five years of working or something and learning something new. MBA is a very different type of a curriculum than the more traditional engineering or computer science type of a discipline. It's more case study based. You you work in groups and, and all of that. So I, I learned many of those kinds of interesting skills and came back with a toolbox of methods, methodologies and toolkits that I can apply to my research. Although I didn't end up changing particularly my job per se after I did the MBA. It was a very enriching experience for me. Uh, so that's one thing. Being named an IBM fellow was another thing that I'm you know, quite uh, proud of. And now at NVIDIA, I'm so inspired by our CEO, Jensen Huang, who is such a brilliant visionary of, of the high-performance computing and is, is spearheading the era of AI. There is so much to get inspired by. And this is another turning point, or rather a change that happened that I'm quite enjoying. Well, that's fantastic. So you went to Stern and you didn't need to. Would you say self-learning is very important also? Rather, because that's part of your life's MO. That's one thing I've seen, right? I, yeah, I was deciding whether I wanted to go do a PhD. I was leaning more toward a PhD, but somehow I eventually decided to go do an MBA. Being a Lifelong learner is, is very important for us to stay relevant in our roles, in our jobs, and for us to stay fresh. The field that we are in is such that if we don't actually upgrade our skills and be continuous learners, we cannot actually survive and do a good job. So in many ways, it's both driven by the internal curiosity, but also the environment and the industry that we are in and the, the pace at which things are moving also require you, necessitate you to be on top of things and be a lifelong learner. Rama, 
Can you share a couple of your favorite childhood memories that you have? Sometimes songs, things, sometimes different things. Just share a couple of them. It tells you a lot about the person also. Oh, good question. I would say, you know, my grandfather used to be Harikatha Bhagavatar. Let me tell you what that means. That means they tell the stories from our epics and Indian epics and such in musical form. So they write, compose, and sing in various Carnatic ragas. And the story is told through that called Harikatha. That means you're telling the story of Hari, the god, or any kind of, it, it, it would even be a social reformist or anything. It's just the name came about from a spiritual side of things, but it could be on anything. So my grandfather used to do those kinds of things. He was a traveling musician, if you will, doing those kinds of shows. And he would do those things all around Andhra because it's in Telugu. He would he wrote and composed songs and everything in Telugu. And he used to have many disciples who would come, stay in his home and learn from him. So there was once when I was young, he was a principal of one of the Harikatha schools in a place in interior Andhra. It was called Kapileswarapuram. There used to be, it's one of the only Harikatha schools that was in Andhra where he was the principal and he used to teach. So I, vis- I happened to visit for a summer vacation. And those are some memories etched in my, those episodes from that time etched in my memory where I would go, there used to be a beautiful river. It was like those idyllic times. The whole world was changing but he was from a different era and different time and that village and that whole setup was from a different time and people were still learning. I would go just to observe how he would teach and they would just sit and sing ragas the whole morning and then they'll focus on some other aspects of the Harikadha thing in the afternoon. And it was like a Gurukula design system where some of the students would just live in his house because their parents could not afford any accommodations or anything. So they would just stay in my grandfather's house and do chores around the house. And that's how they would contribute to the food that and the accommodation that uh, my grandfather was providing them. And, and they would learn you know, in the morning, in the evening. So it was a very different time, different world. And we would eat uh, on a banana leaf. My grandma would cook this uh, delicious meals on. There was not even a gas stove at the time. So it was like, these are some very fun memories. Uh, wow. I'm just visualizing it. It's like a movie, you know. Yeah, and there would be a well, the water, because there was a river. Right, right? Or it was just you had to pull the pulley? Yeah, you have to pull it with the pulley. But the water was so, the water table was so rich back then. And this small village, you know, was by the river. The water levels, you could just take your bucket and just dip it in the well. You did not even need a pulley or anything. And my grandmother would put some of the vegetables in the well to keep them fresh. Those memories that I really cherish. You can imagine banana trees and you would just cut them fresh from your backyard for your lunch meal every day. And you would go to the river in, in the morning for a walk or whatever and then you would do music singing and teaching <laughs> and have a very simple life <laughs> but those were the great days though no texting no whatsapping no none of no the only thing there was all india radio that's it uh, 
but anyway that's a whole different story but so music was a big part of grandparents and uh, others in your life it's been a big part yeah i didn't get as much of that musical genes uh, other than the interest part of it but my grandfather had that great tradition wow amazing like i said sometimes you can visualize that was a fantastic you obviously achieved an amazing thing so far but there's so much more of Rama's journey still ahead. Now, obviously, there's nobody who can predict even 20 years. Or, but what? Where do you see your journey going, Rama? You know, good question. I, I think I don't think you can really plan exactly. You know, where you uh, would be a few years from now. You can set reasonable goals, but I enjoy the journey, and I hope the best for the destination. But I just enjoy the journey. where would i be i have i have really no idea all i can say is that i'm enjoying what i'm doing quite a bit and we are in an era where things are changing so much and ai is opening up so many possibilities you know the era of ai is here every day there is a new invention new innovation that's happening be it in how many advancements are happening in the way we can now understand natural language and how human and computer inter- interaction is changing with more natural language and multimodality we're now able to process and quickly search for information in various formats in audio video and it's opening up so many use cases and possibilities i cannot think of more exciting times in my career time you know internet was exciting it was but it took a while it was slow slowly it, it became big but this time around the ai revolution is so fast paced it's hard to keep up almost with the pace at which the innovations are coming out so it's so exciting we are all students learning in our jobs and we have to adapt we have to learn we have to figure out the path as to what makes sense to do next and charter our course so i don't think anybody can predict where the future will be well, what we can say is that we are in for some really exciting times ahead and of course lots of interesting challenges societal ethical and legal many kinds of challenges will be brought to the forefront by the breakthrough innovations that ai is bringing so, so i hope it will be we end up figuring out a way in such a way that it will be for the betterment for the the human society and that we don't become slaves to the social media and to all of the the, the negative things and are able to somehow guardrail and curtail those things and still navigate advance the society while keeping the humanness of it so i think just being part of that journey is exciting enough so you're just enjoying the ride i'm with you on that just since we've taken you into the future we'll just take you very briefly for a very short period to the past if just pretend this is rama which is me graduating out of your uh, engineering college what would be the one or two pieces of advice that you would give her knowing what you know today yeah as you know as i have um, mentioned during the course of this interview you know i wish i had been exposed to my own creativity and thinking early on in my life the education system and the circumstances were such that you're not encouraged to ask many questions you're encouraged to learn just listen memorize or apply so one i don't know that i could have changed it myself because when you are in an environment where everything is given to you in that format you just follow it 
But if I could go back and change one of the things or give myself advice, that's what I would say. Independent of what your circumstances are, you do that soul searching and ask yourself, how could things be done differently and better? Because I can see in the way the society was run, in the way many things that we interacted with in those days were so inefficient. You know, you have to get a deed done for buying a house or selling a house. There was so much red tape and nobody ever probably were given the task to step back and think, how could you simplify? What does customer experience mean? How can you improve the process? You know, all those innovations of Six Sigma quality, all of them came from uh, the Western way of thinking and the philosophy. We've lost our way in creativity and that questioning the status quo, as I was saying before, somewhere along the way during the colonial rule and have gotten into this habit of just being note takers. And to my young self, I would give myself the advice that you got to somehow break out of that and bring out the creative side of things, ask those questions, be opinionated, be confident to, to state your opinion that's grounded in facts, of course. I think that's very important to have that open brain from childhood. You can learn it when you are an adult, but it's not the same as you learning the principles of an open brain from your childhood. That's an advantage that children that I see and I and my daughter growing up here and through the curriculum here, I could see the difference of what it does to one's mind. And I wish we we and many Indians in the growing up in those days or even now in some of the education system that refuses to change would take a note of. Well, those are great advices. Be opinionated, question status quo. I think you're absolutely right on that. Rama, we, at the end of the show, we asked two questions, the same questions to everybody. Just very brief, it's a brief response to the lightning questions. What is your definition of Indianness? I would say it's staying true to your principles, staying grounded in your moral compass. Very good. Staying true to your principles and staying grounded. Excellent. Last question. Not somebody from your family has to be a living person, could be from India or of Indian origin anywhere in the world that you admire. Well, there are so many. Why only one? Okay, you can. We'll make an exception. How about three, Rama? In your case, we'll make an exception. Give us three. Well, you know, look at some of the CEOs that are running the tech companies here Arun Krishna, Sachana Adela, of course, and uh, really out there running, you know, such big companies, multinational companies, they all come from similar kind of humble roots in India and made it big and are showing the way of innovation. And Jensen Huang, I would say. He's not of Indian origin, but okay, we'll, we will adopt him. No worries. We'll adopt him. He's definitely inspirational. I agree with you. Yeah. Wonderful. Ramad, this has been just amazing. Thank you for opening up. Sometimes sharing is not that easy, but it's obviously capturing your journey, but also for the other people that you're inspiring, because a lot of people who get inspired by you. So thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Sanjay, for having me on your podcast and taking me on a journey of uh, my childhood and uh, all those memories. Now, look, I don't know at the end of the day, I think this would be the story of many immigrants who came to the United States and 
and are working here. It's probably nothing that that dramatic. It's very, very linear in the way it played out in a healthy, nurturing family, middle class, and then you know, coming here to study and classic story of an immigrant. So in that sense, it's really probably nothing different or new. But I hope there are things and nuggets in there that your listeners and viewers would find valuable. But thank you for taking me through this journey. I don't think I've ever really gone into talking about myself so much. It's a little uncomfortable, actually, to talk about yourself so much. Hey, what did I do? What's so big deal about it for somebody to spend an hour of their time to listen to all of this? But if somebody could actually find value in it. Uh, me? I found tremendous value, Rama. I learned things. You're too humble because, you know, the challenges you faced and you are obviously being very polite in some of the things. It's not easy. You uh, being an IBM fellow, coming all this way, in many ways, it's still largely a male-dominated environment. So what you've done, it's, you know, you're too humble. So really thank you for what you do and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you, Sanjay. Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories.